Welcome to Sex Care is Self-Care, a conversation on women's sexual health brought to you by the Patty Brisbane Foundation for Women's Sexual Health. I'm your host, Patty Brisbane. With us today is Dr. Michael Critchman, chair of the PBF Medical Advisory Board to discuss one of our six focuses. Hi, Dr. Critchman. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Hi, Patty. It's so great to be here um, on this uh, podcast with you. Um, So I'm a sexual medicine gynecologist. I have training in OBGYN, but I primarily focus in sexual medicine and the implications of chronic disease. I look at uh, women who have underlying conditions, whether it is uh, depression or cancer or other issues that are impacting their sexual health. So in addition to being a physician, I'm also a counselor and therapist. So I really try to bring in a variety of different facets to the evaluation and assessment, not only the medical side, but also what's going on in their life and their relationships as well. And, you know, I'm really, really, really thankful and lucky that We've been working together for quite some time and, you know, I really appreciate all the hard work that the PBF is doing in terms of furthering uh, women's uh, sexual health, empowering women to really take control of their sexual destiny. So again, I want to thank you for all that you do uh, and really excited to be here to talk to you today. I'm excited that you're here. You know, I'm going to start by asking the most basic question. How common is sexual dysfunction following cancer treatment? Well, Patty, you know, you know, most people, they really realize that the statistics are, you know, astronomical. Some estimates of at least 50 to 90%. So it's much more common than we have been led to believe. And really the reality is almost everybody who's had an issue with cancer or a cancer scare, um, that really changes you. It changes the direction it changes your focus, it really changes how you view every single day. And it's interesting for women, you know, they talk about, you know, the concern of cancer recurrence, the concern for their families, but up there in their top concerns is their femininity, their sexuality, and how they experience that. And we know, you know, breast cancer, certainly one of my focuses, I do see a lot of women who have this, cancer, and it's really exceptionally common. And we can certainly talk about some of those implications as well. Sounds great. Cancer treatment can vary depending on the type of cancer and the location. Can you explain how surgery, radiation, chemotherapy can affect the sexual function? Well, let's, let's, you know, that's a, a, a lot to cover, but we'll, yeah. we'll get it through. Like, you know, when we talk about surgery, remember it's removing and changing anatomy and it's uh, the implications of, you know, let's say removing a breast. Uh, for some women, this is very much linked to how they view themselves as a sexual being. Uh, it's tied to their femininity. Uh, so surgery really changes anatomy and it may change sensation. Uh, you know, women who've had their nipples removed may have issues with sensation. The nipples are very erotic, so they may have changes in their erotic uh, arousal. And don't forget scarring. You're left with scarring and not everybody heals well. And surgery, everyone kind of says, well, you know, 
we will uh, do reconstruction. But you know, 40% of women are not happy with reconstruction uh, thereafter. They feel their bodies are changed. Radiation really changes skin tone. It may change the length of the vagina. It may cause fibrosis or hardening. Imagine if you've had radiation to your upper arm and you can't even put your arm around your partner because it's so contracted and so fibrotic and so hard. Really, really problematic. And chemotherapy, well, you know, chemotherapy, the biggest issue, not only does it change self-esteem with you, if you lose your hair, your eyelashes, your eyebrows, um, but there's, you know, inherent nausea and vomiting. And really the big issue is going into menopause really early. And we know how important and vital estrogen and other hormones are for your sexual functioning as well. So chemotherapy certainly has a lot of issues and let's not underestimate brain fog and what have you. The other thing, uh, I know this is uh, really important is what I would call the cytostatic medications. We put women on medications after they're done with treatment like tamoxifen or aromatase inhibitors. And this is what I call the justice syndrome. We're just gonna put you on medication for 10 years. And those medications really have far reaching implications. They affect your bones, they affect your vagina, they affect lubrication. So the justice syndrome, you know, for me is like a, a renovation. You know, you say you're just gonna change the appliances and you're just gonna change that. Mm -hmm. And then you end up changing the counters and building on an extension and putting on a patio. So this justice syndrome is very common with cancer. And, uh, you know, we just do surgery and we'll just do a short course of radiation and just do chemo and just keep you on medications without really understanding that these are all additive and they really have severe impact on a woman's sexual expression. Oh, um, what is sexual self-esteem and how does cancer impact, impact it? Well, you know, I think the best way to explain that is, you know, when was the last time we really looked at ourselves in the mirror, completely naked, and look at ourselves and embrace our body and embrace what, how our bodies have changed and how our bodies are vehicles of sexual expression. Um, you know, the lumps and the bumps and the, and the changes that we all have. Um, so sexual self-esteem is just how we view ourselves as a sexual person. For some people, it's their smile. For some people, it's their eyes. Other people, it's their breasts. It's how they feel and what makes them, give them their kind of mojo to be, you know, sensual or sexual. So, you know, very often when you have a lot of impact, um, someone really loves their hair or, you know, and that's really part of their personality and what have you, having cancer can really damage that. So um, we see that women who have cancer have not really embraced what I would call the the new normal. And again, everybody says, I want to go back to the way it was before. And, you know, the first step really is understanding your life is forever changed. Um, your body is forever changed. Your experience, your life, your sex life, your relationship has forever changed with the impact of cancer. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean it has to be all bad. So I want to put that caveat in because, you know, being in the cancer care business for some, so many years, I have a lot of women that really feel empowered thereafter. 
And what I mean by empowered after the cancer experience is they really realize how vital and how short life is and they embrace their relationships or they start anew. They realize, you know, they were in destructive relationships that were not really supportive. And this is the time of me and focusing on themselves. So it's not all bad. You know, they say, you know, um, they like to live life um, out on the branches of the tree of life because that's where all the fruit is. So they really embrace all the natural good things and they really are, are vital. So it's not all terrible. It changes you, and, but certainly there's a lot of effective treatments that can help women reclaim their sensuality and sexuality after cancer. That's good news. When you're going through cancer, and the treatment takes a toll on you physically and emotionally. We don't talk about the impact that it has on our partner. Um, and not everyone is comfortable talking with their partner about the changes in their sexual health. How can we open these lines of communication and why is that important? Well, you know, I think, you know, for me as a sex therapist, I think looking at the couple, whether, um, you know, you're involved with a person of the same sex or you're involved in a heterosexual marriage, I think the relationship is certainly impactful. And I've seen everything from, you know, a partner put um, the cancer patient on a bus with uh, divorce papers as she was going to go get her chemotherapy to partners who are uh, there at every visit. Um, so I think the important thing to recognize is that cancer affects everybody. It affects not only the partner and the relationship, but it affects the dynamic, right? So it may be role reversal. And a lot of uh, men may feel angry, right? They may right. feel angry because they didn't sign up for that. They didn't sign up to make peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for the kids and, and be the caretaker. Uh, they wanted to stay at, they wanted to uh, be the worker. Um, so I think the important concept is try to bring your partner to your visits, uh, try to engage them so they are seeing things firsthand. Um, there's a lot of good resources from the American Cancer Association. There are uh, other ways that partners can be involved. Uh, and again, I think, um, it's very important to, you know, progress from physical intimacy, being in the same place and same time, sharing, feeling close, physically close, and then emotionally sharing. Um, and I know it's, it's challenging, but I think if you broach the topic or you get your healthcare professional to broach the topic, it'll really be at ease. And uh, it's, it's very important to recognize that. And many cancer uh, institutions have you know, trained professionals, and they really want to look at the partner as a partner, not as partner as caregiver. So again, a lot of different roles to consider. Yeah, we got to remember that our partners are not clairvoyant, and that we do have to open up those lines of communication. Because I think when you open that up, we, you both understand each other more so. And I think the relationship is a lot better and people sometimes hide from their feelings and that's not good. So I thank you for, thank you for talking about opening up those lines of communication. 
sometimes that always strikes me that when reading studies about survivorship and sexual health is how few doctors talk to their patients about navigating these changes. If someone is listening and wants to discuss this with their doctor and their doctor hasn't brought it up, how can they feel empowered to do so? So Patty, that's a great question. And I think the challenge is, you know, there are not many healthcare professionals that are focused on sexuality like myself or, or who are committed like you to bring forth that power for women to do that. Um, you know, we, we have a resource at the uh, PBF, which is really about choosing your healthcare team, choosing your uh, sexual healthcare team. And we also put something in there uh, about when it's time to kind of break up with your doctor. And I think it's okay. You know, a good doctor is never afraid of a second opinion. And um, I would em empower women to try and broach this, the subject and recognize that healthcare professionals have their own barriers. They don't know uh, much about sexuality, how to treat it, but just because they don't know doesn't mean they can't find you resources. So there are certainly a lot of resources in major cities, They all their cancer care have survivorship uh, centers. There are a lot of resources online, including the PBF in terms of how to get empowered, how to talk to your clinician. Sometimes you don't even have to talk to the clinician, bring in a, an article, uh, write it down on a piece of paper, give it to the allied healthcare professionals, talk to the nurse, uh, bring a friend if you're comfortable. And I always tell women, you know, sometimes the best thing to do is to practice, um, practice in front of the mirror, uh, say the words, say the word vagina, say the word sex, say the word painful intercourse, becoming more familiar with those terms alone mm -hmm. will allow you the opportunity to broach those topics with your clinician. And again, remember, um, nothing is set in stone. There are professionals out there that want to help that have a lot of tricks in their toolbox to make things better. And it's okay to get a second opinion, a third opinion, a fourth opinion. It's really important to be empowered, to take control. Because right. if you are going to wait for your provider to talk to you about that, you're gonna be waiting and waiting and waiting. So um, it's really important. You have to be your own best advocate. And so when you, when you go to your doctor, you've got to be prepared. And I love the fact that you said it's okay to fire your doctor uh, if need be. Uh, you've got to find people that you're comfortable with. And it does take a village right. time. And it's just not about one doctor. You, can, you need a team. So thank you for bringing that. Yeah, and I say, you know, like, you know, I say, um, you know, being on uh, the cancer journey is like being on a cruise. You have your captain of the ship, which is your oncological team, your surgeon, your radiation specialist, your chemo person. Um, you, you are the passenger and, you know, everything else falls upon the cruise director, which is really about, you know, sexuality, hot flashes, bone health, um, and survivorship, you know, I've been doing survivorship for the past two decades. And um, if we think back, it wasn't too long ago, we were having parties and in the chemo unit and saying, you're done, go live. But we never gave people a plan of how to pick up the pieces 
after the experience. So it's not only about sex, it's about hot flashes, it's about your body image, it's about your bone health, and also the late-term effects you know, of chemotherapy on your heart, on your bones, um, and not to mention your relationship, your relationship with your children as well. So again, far-reaching implications, but you know, survivorship is new in its infancy. And I have to tell you, it's the, it's the, you know, it's the last stage of cancer. We are all going to uh, experience disease and, you know, survivorship, whether it's one hour, one year, one decade after cancer, we have to optimize our wellness and our sexual health as well. I want to thank my guest, Dr. Michael Critchman for a great, great conversation this morning. For more information on the Patty Brisbane Foundation for Women's Sexual Health, our six focus areas, um, and to download our Let's Discuss Patient Pocket Card to start a great conversation with your doctor, visit the pattybrisbanefoundation.org. Remember, sex care is self-care and sexual health matters. Thanks, Patty. Thank you. Thank you.